we noticed that this year we're going to have it at Onris, which is nearby. Okay, the reason why we're having it close is so that everybody will have an opportunity to come. But we've blocked, booked 30 spaces. Okay, if there are, and, and on each camping space, there can be six individuals, so up to six. So if your family is uh, six members, you can have one spot. You can also share that with friends, as long as you're not more than six people per slot. So we really want to invite everybody to come. Um, we'll bring the, the prices up next week. Um, the whole idea is, is to bring everybody together, to fellowship together, to have the children together especially. Those who have children, they always like camping. My wife, she likes clamping. I like camping. But the children always like camping. Okay, so please come together. We really want to fellowship. We want to build the family, uh, the intimacy and the relationship within church. So we really want to invite you to come. Even if you are not a camper, find somebody who are. Um, there are some serious campers in church who have all the facilities, you know, the caravans and those trailers that cost the same as a car, that kind of, you know, what I'm talking about, those people. If you join us, you will have a hammock. But if you ask somebody else, you might have a, something more. Um, so please, um, if you can make it, um, we, we wanna really want everybody to come. The other reason why we're having it in Onris, if you really cannot camp anymore, and, and some of us um, struggle to camp, you can, we're gonna try and organize that you come in as a day visitor, okay? That's why we're having it Onris, so that everybody can come. Okay, whether you camp or not. But I say that, please, only for those who really cannot camp. If you cannot camp anymore, we will allow you to come as a day visitor. Because we want everybody there um, to fellowship, and we're going to have lots of fun together. Um, so please, die rise that date. I'm not preaching this morning. My wife is, so I'm going to hand over to her. Thank you. Um, I've, I've tried every excuse in the book of why I cannot camp, but it hasn't worked so far. Um, but yeah, let me just pray this morning. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Father, that it has power. And Lord, that you um, want to accomplish something in our lives this morning, God. So Father, we open our hearts to you. We ask, Lord, for your word to come and change us. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Andres and Werner caught me a little bit lost, yeah, because I'm, I always have 110 excuses why I don't want to preach as well. Um, and they had the theme homecoming. I was like, I love homecoming. I love talking about the church and where we all fit into the church. And I thought, great, I'll preach about that. Um, but when, as I was preparing, God led me on something completely different. So yeah, I am again preaching. Um, but it's exciting. So, so talking about tents... Um, we'll soon talk about God's first home. And, and I was just, as I was thinking about homecoming and home, I was thinking about where does God feel at home? Where is God's home? And I was looking through the Bible at where God lived um, on earth or where he made his home on earth. And, and the first place we see is actually um, when God told Moses to build a tabernacle. And so they were in the desert, 
and there was this tent of meeting, and it's a place where, where Moses would come and inquire of God, where God would come and, come and dwell there. Um, and it was actually so, um, it, it wasn't just imaginary, it was like a cloud that actually descended on that place. It was very physical and very real when God ascended. And it, and it actually says um, in Hebrews that when God instructed Moses how to build the tabernacle, it was actually a copy of a tabernacle that is in heaven. So as he built this place, God, he dedicated it to God, and then God actually came and manifested Then We read that in Exodus 40, verse 34, which says, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And then in all the travels of Israel, so this was a, a tent that they were able to actually move around, and then it says, in all the travels of the Israelites, wherever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. And what's so powerful for me about this is that, that God really wanted to show himself to his people. We, we often remember about how they were led out of Egypt and all the miraculous things God did. And how he's always reminding, how they're always reminding the Israelites about all the miracles God did. But what was powerful for me about the tabernacle is that God did not only remind them of what he did, but he continued to show them that he's there, that he is amongst them. By a physical cloud and at night it was like a fire. And then it, it was in David's heart to say, God, I want to build you a home. I want to build you a physical place. Because they had settled, they were Israel now, and they want, he wanted a physical place for God that wasn't a tent and moving around. And then God said to him, it's great what you have in your heart. And you will prepare everything for the temple. But your son Solomon will actually build the temple. And then as Solomon grew older, he started preparing for the temple. He started building the temple according to an exact um, direction of exactly how he should do it that God gave him. And in this temple that Solomon built, there was a holy place. And then there was the holy of holies or the most holy place. And the, the ministers, the... the priests would minister in the holy place, but only the high priest was allowed to go into the most holy place once a year. And when he went through this massive curtain into the most holy place, he had to bring a sacrifice for his sins and also for the unknown sins of the Israelites. So, so sometimes the sins they committed that they hadn't even sacrificed for, that they were even unaware of. But the way that he entered this massive um, through this massive curtain, was through a blood sacrifice. And that was only once a year. And then, um, so Solomon built this temple, and then in 1 Kings 8 it says, When the priest withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priest could not perform their service because, the cloud, because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled this temple. So again, just as he dedicated it, God's glory filled the temple. And then we see Solomon actually reflecting on this. And he's thinking, I built this incredible um, 
um, temple for God, and it was incredible. It was actually magnificent. We actually used to, um, in our church in London, we would take a group of people every year to Israel. And I remember they had a scale model of exactly what the city of David looked like, the, um, the palace and the temple and, and how the city was laid out. And the temple was so massive that you could see it from everywhere. So it was impressive, and, and Solomon was reflecting, and you can read it in Kings, about how he was reflecting on how amazing this temple is that he built. But as he was thinking about it, he was thinking like, why would God, 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 who, who literally fills everything everywhere, why would he come and, and dwell in a temple? And we see that in 1 Kings 8 verse 27, he says, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. And still God came and he settled there in that temple and his manifest presence was in that temple. And again it says it was a copy of the temple in, in heaven. In Revelations 15, 8 says, And the temple was filled. So this is actually what is in heaven. Is, and the temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from his power. So what we saw on earth was a reflection of what is happening in heaven. And then we see throughout Israel's history, we see them moving away from God um, in their hearts or um, sinning or mixing in with the nations around them. And every time the temple was kind of um, desecrated and then somebody would come, a good king would come along and he would restore everything again. And then it was desecrated again and then he, a good king would come and they would restore it again. Until a time when the whole temple was broken down completely. And then many years later, Zerubbabel came, he built the temple again. That was the second temple. And this second temple is the one that we see when Jesus comes on the scene. King Herod had spent a few years just making this temple beautiful again, restoring it, making it amazing. And then the temple we read about in the New Testament is the second temple built in the same place. And then we see that the next place God dwelt in, not the temple, but Jesus. Jesus was then the presence of God, the presence of God manifesting in the earth. And just like God's desire, I believe, for, for wanting to show himself among his people, God made it even more real in Jesus, in the fullness of God coming to us here on earth to show himself, to connect with us, to show us who he is. And we see that in John 2 verse 19 verse 20 to 21. Jesus answered them and said, destroy this temple. So he was talking about the real temple. And I will raise it again in three days. And they replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And you're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. So Jesus was God coming near us. God living with us and manifesting in Jesus. Then, Jesus, when he died, we see that the, he actually, so if you want the, the meaty version of this, go home and read Hebrews 8, 9, and 10. Okay. But what happened is, when Jesus died, he actually went into the tabernacle that is in heaven. He went in there. His body became the sacrifice for sin, just like the high priest went into the, the most holy place. And what happened on earth, so as he sacrificed his body, he paid for all of our sin, 
And what happened on earth is that the actual temple, that, that veil was torn from top to bottom. So what that means is that God has separated um, what kept us from him so that we can have full access, each one of us, through Jesus, can have full access to God's presence. So it's not only the high priest that can go in once a year, but all of us have free access into God's presence through the sacrifice of one man, which was Jesus. We read this, and don't you know that you, and then it says, okay, so Jesus came, he made the way for us to God, and then where did God dwell after that? After Jesus went, got resurrected and went to heaven, where is God dwelling now? In us, okay. So God came, he sent his Holy Spirit. So first of all, what Jesus did by paying for us is he cleansed us. He says he sanctified us. Sanctifies is he made us holy. And then he sent his Holy Spirit to come and live inside of us. So we now are the temple of God. God's fullness of his presence lives in each one of us. We read that in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 15. It says, don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. And 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So first of all, God dwelt in a tent, then the tabernacle, Jesus, and now in us. And what was interesting for me, if I look at that, one of the main characteristics I feel of where God finds his home is in a holy place. In each one of those places, God made it very clear that it is in a holy place that he dwells. And so Jesus had to make us holy so that his Holy Spirit can come and dwell. Jesus was holy. Jesus committed no sin, so he was holy, so God was able to dwell in him. And, the, and then Jesus had to make us holy so that his Holy Spirit can come and dwell in us. So God's home is in a holy place. Now, Andre's last week talked about God speaking to us as a church to become a city on a hill. Now, I don't know how many of you have flown very far at night. And sometimes if you look out, out of the window, you see um, like little lights. So it's all dark, especially if there's no cloud cover. You see lights, small lights, clusters of lights. But when you go over a city, what do you see? You see this massive lights. You see like this massive, all the clusters of lights are forming a massive light and you know this is a city. And so if God is saying he wants us as a church to be the city, to be the city on a hill, what does it mean? It actually means that each one of our lights together, um, we are the church. We are the city. And what I felt was that God was saying um, he wants the city on a hill to shine brightly. Now for the city to be able to shine brightly, it means each of the little lights need to shine brightly. God wants each one of us, if each one of us has a very dim light, the city isn't really going to be shining. 
But if every single light, as we are together, the church, come together, that means that the, the city will shine. So, so in Philippians 2, verse 14 to 15, it says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Yeah, so I just feel that the darkness, the time that we're in, the darkness around us is increasing. And our light needs to shine. And God says, as the darkness increases, the light increases more. But we are still in the world. And God wants us not to be like the world. What dims our light? If we are already sanctified, if we are already made holy... And we are already filled with the Holy Spirit. So the light is the Holy Spirit shining through us. What can dim our light? It is if we become like the world. If we compromise in our lives, we are dimming the light. And I feel God is saying he wants us to be separate. He wants to call us out of the world to be separate. So that doesn't mean we're not going to be in the world. We're going to be in the world, but we're not going to be of the world. We're not going to look like the world. When we blend with the world, when we act like the world, or we think like the world, or we get involved with unholy relationships in the world, we're dimming our light. And God is calling us again, just like he did with the Israelites in the old times. He's calling us to purify ourselves, to get rid of the idols, to get rid of the things in our lives that is causing us to compromise. So this is the main scripture I felt for today, is 2 Corinthians 12, verse 14 to 18. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And here is the promise. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you and I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. God is saying, I have a promise. So he's saying, I'm calling you out of, but I'm calling you unto. So not just come out from the world, but come to me because I want to dwell among you. I want to be a father to you. I want to walk among you. I want you to hear my voice. I want you to experience my presence. I want you to walk in my peace. The only way you can do that is if you come out of the world and come unto God and to be separate. So holy means to be set apart. God wants us to live holy, to live set apart lives, to live pure lives um, and totally different lives. We are not supposed to look like the world. We are supposed to look totally different. And, and I really believe there's a, I don't know if it's a teaching or things that have crept into the church over, over many years where, where I see Christians wanting to look like the world so that we can be cool, so that we can reach the world in a way. And I really believe that has backfired because um, 
One of the first things that I've noticed when people get saved, if people get radically saved from complete sinner to a Christian, one of the first things they, that they will do is they'll stop swearing. They'll just, it's just they know they, they shouldn't swear. But now we've got Christians who are totally on fire for God, serving him 15 years later, and I'm hearing them swearing. And I'm like, you're choosing to swear. Like, nothing in you, nothing of the Holy Spirit in you is going to cause you to swear, but you have chosen to look like the world. And God says, no, I want you not to look like the world. Or we, or we take on the philosophies of the world, the think of the world. We'd rather go to secular counselors that tell us what we want to hear than go to God who says, but it's not about you. <laughs> your life is not about you. It's about laying down your life and following God and loving the people around you. We want people to tell us it's about us and our comfort and everything about us, but that is not what we are called to. Before I get carried away, 2 Corinthians 7, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, there's just more of what God is telling us about getting out of the world. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness, out of reverence for God. And James 4 verse 4 that says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you not think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? It's not a cheap thing that God has caused to dwell in us. If you think about the way God's presence lived in the temple. He has caused his Holy Spirit, which is precious, to live inside of us. But he wants us to create an environment where the Spirit feels at home. James 4 verse 4 to 8 says, But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will free from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And James 1 verse 27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So God wants us to purify ourselves, and and the simple thing is, if you know there's obvious sin in your life or things that God has spoken to you about, then it's just repentance. It's just, God, God, this is not how you created me. I'm sorry that I compromise. I ask that you will forgive me. Then submit to God, because remember, the enemy, the, uh, our enemy, the devil, is also after us. So if you open a door in your life through sin, then the devil is on you, okay? Or not on you, but... You know, he's working in that place. So we, what you need to do is actually to bring it into the light because that, the devil loses his power once we bring things into the light. So confessing, and then once you've confessed, it says, draw near to God. Remember, if we draw near to God, he draws near to us. So don't stay away from God because you're feeling guilty or you're feeling bad, but draw near to God because that's ultimately what he wants. He wants us in relationship with him so that we can experience the fullness of life that he has for us. I'm just going to go a little bit longer because there's one more thing that I feel we've been asking God. Um, if we look at the Acts Church and we look at what God 
manifested in the Acts church about how the disciples would walk and people would get healed of diseases, people would get delivered, God would do many miracles, is something that I believe a lot of our Christians have been desiring, and it's, it's something that we should be desiring, is to actually see God's presence manifest more in our midst and to see his power working in our midst more than we do right now. But what I felt on my heart and why I feel this message is important for us as a church today is that with great power comes great responsibility. And we see in the Acts church that after Jesus' resurrection, they were pure. They were following God 100%. And when people compromised, um, there were severe con consequences to that. So we read um, about Ananias and Sapphira. So what happened around that time is that people realized that their possessions were their own, and, and there, there was this one guy, um, Barabbas, Barnabas, who sold a land, and he brought all the money and gave it to the apostles, and they distributed the money to the poor. Then Ananias and Sapphira also sold a piece of land. What was amazing about them, they gave most of the money to the church. So for us today, we, we are... Um, we're wanting to please and celebrate everybody. Um, I think we would have said, wow, well done. They did well. They gave a lot of money um, to the apostles. But what actually they did is say they sold it for a million rand. They said we sold it for 800,000 and that we have brought all the money. Okay, so what happened then? Um, Acts 5. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? So the problem is not that he kept some of the money. The problem is that he lied about it. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the field, for the land? Yes, she said, this is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. So what I feel is that God's presence and his manifest presence is very much connected to God's holiness. So if we want more of God's manifest presence, we also need to be aware that it will require holiness because God's home is where there is holiness. So tomorrow morning, this building will be empty. And the church will not be here. The church will be little lights all over Hermanus. It will be in homes, it will be in schools, and it will be in workplaces. That is the church. You and I are the lights that will be all over Hermanus tomorrow. 
And are we creating environments of holiness wherever we go, where God feels at home? Are we making sure that our homes, what are our homes looking like? What is the music we're listening to, the things we're watching on TV, the things that we're allowing in our homes? Are they places of holiness where God can dwell? In our dealing with our colleagues, in the way we speak, are we trying to look like the world and blend in? Or are we different? And I want to remind you, it's really amazing to grow up in a, in a Christian nation mostly, where almost everybody around us are Christians. I was in school in England where I was the only Christian. There were no Christians around me. Um, it's, it's a blessing to have teachers who teaches our children about God, but not every Christian is a Christian. Not everybody who says they're a Christian is a Christian. So if your colleagues, um, you know, did go to church when they're young, but they don't go anymore, if they don't live like a Christian, they're not a Christian. So don't, you don't have to act like them. And don't expect from them what you would expect from a Christian. So if they lie, they're just doing what their nature, um, what is in their nature. But if you lie, you have a different power inside of you. You, you, have, no, you, you have no excuse, okay? We have the Holy Spirit inside of us who will constantly lead us into holiness. And all we need to do is just be obedient. That is how we walk in holiness, is to be obedient to the Holy Spirit when he says, turn that music off, or don't watch. Even if you start a movie, walk out if it's not, not cool. Um, but just be obedient to the Holy Spirit. And as we're obedient to him, we will continue to walk in holiness and into more of his presence and more of his joy and more of his peace. Um, can we maybe just hand out the communion, please? So I want you to ask you this morning if you are ready to pray a bold prayer. Because when we're in the world, because we're in the world and we're not separated from the world, we don't always realize, me included, don't always realize where we have started compromising, where we've started thinking like the world or acting like the world. But are you ready today to pray with me a bold prayer, to say, Holy Spirit, will you show me this week places or attitudes or actions in my life where I have become like the world? or where I am starting to follow the wisdom of the world. And then in Galatians 1 verse 10 says, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. To say, Lord, I don't want to live for the approval of people. I want to live for you. I want to live for your approval. So are you ready this morning to just say, God, Show me in my life this week where I have compromised. And let's repent of those things. It's as easy as that. Just repent of those things, turn away from it, and live the life that the Holy Spirit is wanting to live through. Allow the Holy Spirit to live through you. The reality that we're living in as we're taking communion this morning is that God has already sanctified us. It's not something that we have to work towards. God sanctified us by going into the most holy place, cleansing us, making us holy, and then filling us with His Spirit. So now it is just partnering with Him for us to become those bright lights and for us to become that city on a hill.
Has everybody uh, received the cup? If you haven't received the cup yet, just please raise your hand if you still need a cup. Okay, the ushers, if you can see there. And bread, anybody needs bread? While we're waiting, let's just take a moment and reflect on God's Word. Just in your own words, where you are seated. Just speak to the Lord. missed anyone? <coughs> yes, Father, thank you this morning that as we come to you, we can reflect on what you have done for us through your Son. Your love for us, Lord, to, to be with us. To make it possible for us, Lord, not just you being here, but you being in us. Not just you being in a place, but you being in, in us. It was a deliberate act of becoming a sacrifice for us. So that we may have this privilege to know that you live in us. Thank you God for calling us your own special people. A holy priesthood. Your precious possession. That we might declare the praises of you who called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, as we take this bread, we remember the cost of you coming to be the sacrifice, not just on earth, but in heaven, for all our sins, so that we may be cleansed once and for all, for you to come to us. We thank you for this, as we remember the cost. Let's eat together. Lord, thank you for this privilege to be your special people a royal priesthood your possession thank you that you made it possible not because of our work or our achievement or even our own holiness but yours you made it possible for us to be yours but yet you still call us to be holy as you are holy and Lord so this morning we want to respond to your desire and your command. Lord, we want to commit ourselves to you, Lord, not just as those who've been saved and redeemed, but those who live a life of holiness. God, we cannot do this without you. 
Just like we couldn't save ourselves, we cannot live like this. But you have promised us that you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And that is in Christ Jesus. Through the spirit that came to live within us, you gave life to our mortal bodies. That we too can live a life of holiness. Lord, this morning we want to commit ourselves to live like this. We thank you that you've given us everything we need to do this. As we drink together, we thank you for this covenant. We stand with you. Let's drink together. Thank you that the blood of Jesus seals us, cleans us, but also opens us up to you living in us. And with you in us, we can become who you desire us to be. Help us this week, Lord, to shine our light in such a way that when men see our good works, they will glorify you. Let us become the city on a hill that cannot be hidden in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. Um, we're going to dismiss and I'm going to ask you to fellowship as the new um, service starts shortly. But I want to ask you, if you need of prayer, if you want to make a commitment today, to recommit your life to Jesus, to live a life of holiness, to step away from the things of this world and to follow God, we're going to be here to pray with you. It's a powerful opportunity for you to make a commitment and to make it clear. So as we dismiss, um, may God bless you. Please come forward for ministry for those who desire to do so and trust we see you next week. Just a reminder, the welcome team and everybody wants to join the welcome team, there's a meeting at the back um, connect, at the Connect table. Thank you. And uh, there is a basket for your communion cup. You can just hand it in as you exit. Thank you.